0: I was approached recently by a man that I respect very, very highly. He's one of the the best men I know and his church is one of the best churches I know. And they had a problem, which I've seen many times before. So I felt let's just deal with it on a Monday morning. They were struggling with how to change their church bylaws so that they might be able to study an issue that was once felt settled among them. My response was, Why do you have bylaws? Well, sometimes uh, most American states, and I know most nations and their provinces, they have rules about how churches are to incorporate, to protect themselves, and also to protect the state in some way. So you have to have a secretary and a treasurer. And for most churches in America, that's entirely pro forma. They just meet once a, a year for 15 minutes, do the meeting and then the state is, is satisfied. But a lot of churches go much further and they put in their bylaws a description of who they are, what they believe and what is allowed to occur in the preps in this building or wherever that group that meets under that name meets. Now, I hope that wasn't too confusing but I want you to stick with me, even if it was, because there's something desperately important here. I can remember being in Scotland once and being handed a list of bylaws for this little church. Well, the church had been mainly started, funded, and their ministries funded from conservative churches in their tribe, and their denomination, from the states. And those people didn't want their money to go to Scotland, and then those Scottish folk do something that would offend their churches back in America as if that's the primary purpose of a church in Scotland is to keep a church in America happy that that's kind of sad you can also find churches whose primary purpose is to keep a power core of families happy it has nothing to do with grace peace love gentleness all of those fruits of the spirit It'll be cloaked that way, but it's all about, don't offend these people. And these people are living bylaws and that, while nothing may be written down, you can't upset them. And again, makes me just kind of shake my head a little bit. Why do we have bylaws that are defining who we are, what we believe, what can happen in our building? There are several problems with this, monstrous problems with this. One is that when you define yourself, you confine yourself. Write that down, put it on a t-shirt. When you define yourself, you confine yourself. Now, for example, I define myself as Christian, and that means there are certain things I cannot do, but that also means there are a lot of things I must do. I don't delineate all of those because I might learn something new tomorrow that'll adjust my direction. But there's a general definition. I am a Christian. I'm also a husband. That means I'm not gonna be dating or flirting with anybody else. It means that there are gonna be strict rules on the behavior. I've defined myself and now I've confined myself. Early in the American Restoration Movement, more commonly known to historians as the Stone Campbell Movement, There were several groups that had broken away from denominational fractious Christianity and wanted just to be known as Christians, just people that follow Jesus and Alexander Campbell had a group and Walter Scott had a group and you know, uh, Barton W. Stone had a group. And one of the greatest pieces of literature that came out of all of this is some, and please look it up. It'll take you a few minutes to read, but you are going to be blown away by its wisdom. It's called the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. Google that, duck, duck, go that, whatever you use, the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. What happened? Well, these were men, and sorry, ladies, I'm not trying to be sexist. At this point, these were men that had broken away from different denominations. They were no longer Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever that they they just want to be Christians. And so they formed themselves in this region, a group of people who just wanted to be Christians and they called it the Springfield Presbytery. And then they realized by the very forming of it and the defining of it, they had cut themselves off from believers who weren't where they are or were yet. And so they wrote a, here is why, we are dissolving our group because we don't want to be divided by anything from any other believer in Christ, not even an attempt to define ourselves as people who are just believers. It is a brilliant piece of literature and I really wish people knew it better. I also want to ask you something else. If your bylaws are there to protect the character of your church so that it can be presented to Jesus one day as the church he gave us. Where in the world do you ever get the idea that's what he wanted? I I was raised to believe that we had to restore the ancient order. We had to worship in a certain way, we had to believe a certain way, we had to organize a certain way, and all of it was the New Testament way. And that, once that's all done and pristine, well, then God will be happy with us and we can hand back to him exactly what he handed to us. Well, Alexander Campbell and some of those in the Stone Campbell movement also believe that, but they believe that by doing this, we'd make Jesus show up quicker. He's gonna show up when he shows up. But I have to ask again, isn't there something in the Bible that teaches us that making the church exactly a model of what the New Testament church was, whichever New Testament church you're picking, because Corinth didn't look like Ephesus, that didn't look like Philippi, but okay. And this pristine church handed back to God, and that's what he really wants. Isn't there something in the Bible about that? Oh, there is, the parable of the talents. And you know what the parable of the talent says? Don't do that. He, He says, a man is going on a long journey, so he gathers his faithful servants and he tolls out to them some money. Talents wasn't, you know, your ability to swing a baton uh, or, or to play a tuba. Talent here. Oh, by the way, certainly those are talents. I hate to offend my large and growing group of baton swallers here, but talents in scripture, it meant money. He gave them a bunch of money. Manage this, he says. When he comes back, Some of them have put everything at risk and it's grown. And he is so happy with them. But one of them goes, oh boy, our boss is a scary boss. And so I'm gonna bury this and protect it. And when he comes back, I'm gonna hand him what he gave us, pristine, clean, and unchanged. And the boss was furious because Jesus never intended to hand us a faith that we would immediately put into lockdown, never risk, never change, that we would surround with bylaws, written or unwritten, and creeds, written or uncreed, and say, nothing changes here. And that's what Jesus wants. When he expressly told us, and there's another variation of the talent parable where it's the same thing, don't do that. We're not asked to confine ourselves by our own definitions or by the definitions of our parents and grandparents. I truly expect that the church of my grandchildren will look different than my church. And I think that's exactly what one is supposed to do. Junk the bylaws and just say we are Christians. We follow Jesus and it is our intention to move at the speed of the Spirit of God, whichever direction We think he's moving and to stop when he stops and to back up when he backs up and charge forward when he charges forward. (coughs) You can only do that if you are deeply wrapped in prayer and you really know your scripture and the way scripture works, because it's not a law tested. It's a narrative. It's a moving forward. His people were always moving. Is this? Risky, yeah, but we're not called to be safe people. So move at the speed of the spirit, move at the speed of love. That's what God wants. Will some people who want comfort and predictability be upset? Yes, I'd rather upset them than the master to whom I am responsible. Because you know that parable of the talents, It's found in Matthew 25. What's also found in Matthew 25? The judgment scene where Christ turns to people and says they are saved because they loved others. They served and sacrificed for others. He never mentions doctrine, worship, organization. In other words, Jesus doesn't operate by bylaws. So why do we have them? Let's just let the Lord of the harvest have the church and we'll put it at risk when we think the spirit wants us to and we will do different things when we think the spirit wants us to or scholarship catches up and we learn that what we thought this verse said, those words mean something else and we need to change. And we just change. We don't do a committee meeting. We don't go through eight months of angst. By the way, if you feel a big change is necessary in your church, teach first, plow the ground first. If there's a big change coming, when I left Michigan after 10 years and we dearly loved that church and love it still, and its people, we spent months preparing them for us to leave, telling them what was happening, moving other people into the teaching positions a little bit more week after week, so that by the time we left, everybody understood what was happening and everybody was in position to keep the church moving forward. Why? Well, because we felt the need to move, but we didn't feel the need to blow up a church. So, smart risk, but let the Lord of the harvest be in charge of the harvest. We don't need any bylaws. We need Jesus and we need the Jesus story And we need to live the Jesus story. Have a great week.